Welcome to the Ocean Church Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you in your journey of faith. Enjoy the message. And uh, I know that the Lord has a word for us today. You know, we were in this series. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be real. I'm real vulnerable right now, y'all, just to tell you. So, but I know that sometimes where God needs to, needs to put us so we can deliver the word that he wants us to. But we were in the series, uh, and we're going to pick it back up, but we saw it fit. We were in the series, Out of the Silence. We saw it fit to take the time to stop and just talk as a family, talk as followers of Jesus about what role do we play when we see injustice, when we see division, when we see discord uh, lived out in our communities. We see it lived out in our nation, <clears throat> and we ask ourselves, what is our, what's our role? What's our responsibility? What do we do? What do we say? How do we act? I believe that God has a word for us today, and uh, we're going to dive in here because I know there's a lot he has to say. And just to give you just a, a couple of disclaimers, I grew up up north, so I moved pretty quick. So y'all got y'all got to keep up with it. Okay, come on, somebody like it, I'm, I'm going to keep it moving. I'll encourage you to take note, take notes because note takers go to heaven. I read that somewhere. Come on, Jesus. No, I'm just teasing. That's not that's from the book of Phil. That's not from any book of the Bible. Would you stand with me? I want to honor God in the reading of his word. <clears throat> We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull that out. You can pull out your phone too, your Version app. And uh, I'm actually going to be reading from the Living Bible Translation just because I love uh, how it, uh, really how the Apostle Paul spells out this thought of being reconciled. So here we go. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. I'm going to go right on through 21. It says, so stop evaluating Christians by what the world thinks about them or by what they seem to be like on the outside. We can just like go home right there, y'all. I mean, that, let me just read that again. Stop evaluating Christians by what the world thinks about them or by what or by what they seem to be like on the outside. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, merely as a human being like myself, how differently I feel now. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person on the inside. Someone say amen. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. And these new things, verse 18, are from God who brought us back to himself through what, Jesus, uh, through what Christ Jesus did. And God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. For God was in Christ, restoring, to, uh, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you, as though Christ himself were here pleading with you, receive the love he offers you. Be reconciled to God. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Someone say amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. God, we're open to hear what you want to say this morning, God. We're grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're seated, give someone like an air high five. Don't, don't touch him, though. Don't, don't touch him. I want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer here. Uh, as I talk about this today, I want you to know that I'm coming from the perspective of a pastor. 
I'm not going to come from the perspective of a social scientist or, uh, or a historian. And there's a, a lot of great information out there that we could talk about as it relates to race and racism and racial reconciliation and what it looks like. But I believe the gospel has the answers that we're looking for. Someone say amen. So that's what we're going to talk about. That, that's, that's, the, that's the platform that I've been given. And that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about this as a pastor. So I'm going to give you a couple of philisms, if that's okay. Come on, somebody like it's, it's not, it's not anywhere that's in scripture. I'm just letting you know, like some of these are some of the things, a couple of things that the Lord spoke to me as I was preparing this. And, and even just with that, as I was preparing this message and, and knowing, knowing that I would be have, having some time to speak on this, I, I started to head down a certain direction, started doing study and the Lord kept stopping me and said, Nope. That's you. That, that's what you want to say. That's not what I want to say. The Lord had to keep stopping me. I, I would get down and I'd be like, ooh, that's really good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that direction. The Lord was like, no, 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 no. That, that's you. That's not me. But as I started preparing this, and I don't know how this will all connect, but these are just a couple of philisms I want to share with you. I want you to write them down and uh, tuck them away. First one, a kingdom is only as strong as its weakest subjects. Second one. It is difficult to teach someone while they are sleeping. Amen. All the teachers said, hallelujah. I know that's right. Come on, somebody. It's difficult to teach someone while they're sleeping. And through this kind of pandemic and social unrest, racial unrest, I believe that this is a wake-up call. God is sending a wake-up call to the church. He's sending a wake-up call to us, y'all. And I, and I use the analogy of, of sleeping giant. So I grew up in Connecticut and typically I ask, hey, who's from Connecticut? And like nobody raises their hand, but I grew up in Connecticut and uh, about 10 miles south of where I grew up, there was this uh, park, it was called Sleeping Giant State Park. And it was called Sleeping Giant because you could just look out and it was a set of mountains that looked, you see off in the distance, it looked like a sleeping giant. And I believe in a lot of ways in America, the church is a sleeping giant. And God is trying to send a wake-up call. And why is the church, why would he even define the church as a giant? Well, the, the, the church is a giant and the church is powerful because the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, y'all, is in us. It's not in, the, it's not in the White House. Come on, somebody. And I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm not going to go there, but I, I just want you to know that we have been given power and a responsibility to deal with the things that go on in our nation, the things that go on in our community. So a definition Re, uh, reconciliation, let me just give you the definition of that. Some of you are like, I don't know what Asian and reconciliation, I don't know any of that. But here, here's simply what it is. The act of bringing people together to be friendly again or coming to an agreement. Richard Rohr famously said, you cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. Jeremiah says it this way, again, in the Living Bible Translation 614, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. There's so much being played out right now. I mean, let's just be straight up with each other. There is a lot that we're seeing go on now. Whether it's protests, riots, political agendas, anger, despair, frustration. There's so many things. And before we can even talk about a solution, racial reconciliation, we have to first identify that a problem even exists. And in a lot of the conversations I'm having, people are recognizing, identifying a lot of problems. But part of the breakdown is we can't even, before we can even try to figure out a solution together, we can't even agree on what problem is going on, y'all. Come on. And, but there are a lot of problems. There are a lot of things, even as we talk about like race and we see racism, racism isn't anything new. It's not just an American thing. Come on, somebody. We see in scripture, we see the Jewish people being enslaved 
to, to the Egyptians, we, we see all these different forms of racism that has been lived out for thousands of years. So we ask ourselves, well, then what's the real problem? Like we've made progress as a nation, but how are we still back here? What is the real problem? Like what is going on? How are we still here? There's evidence of all types of problems. There's, there's evidence as it relates to race. And I, I'm not going to bore you with statistics. Again, I'm not, uh, I'm not a statistician. I'm not a historian. I'm not going to bore you with that. But I want to give you some of the evidence where we can say, all right, yep, there, there's a problem there. Statistic, uh, the net worth, the average net worth. And again, net worth is just simply for those of you that don't know, as assets minus liabilities, that, that's your net worth. That's basically what, what you're worth. So assets like house, investments, boat, car, whatever. Liabilities, debts, loan obligations, mortgages. Subtract those and that's what you get. That's your net worth. The median, uh, the net worth of the median black family in America, I think this was in 2014, was $1,700. The median white family in 2014 was $116,800. So about 68 times that amount. Some would look at that and say, well, that's not a big deal. <laughs> and I would gather that the people that would say that are the, probably the ones that got $116,000. Come on, somebody. But if someone would look at that and say, see, that's the problem. That's the problem with racial inequality right there. That, that, that presents classism. There's an equity sad thing. Even Martin Luther King had to say, he said, one of the most segregated times of the week is 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And people would look at that statistic and they would say, see, segregation is the problem. See, this is still the problem, segregation. We need to throw our energy. We need to throw our, our strategic thinking into solving the problem of segregation. And there's evidence for it. Another statistic, 2017, uh, in 2017, African-Americans were 20% more likely to die from heart disease than non-Hispanic whites. People would say, well, that, that, see, that's the effect of lack of education. People in the black community are suffering because there is not equal education. The lack of education, lack of resources to buy healthy food. There's all types of evidence that point to a plethora of issues, but what if we can get to the root problem? What if we can say, we, I got it, we, we, we can solve it. So let me give you this thought. Say that there were 200 different ways that you can solve a problem and say, someone, if I were to come to you and I say, hey, here is 200 different uh, things that you can throw your energy at to solve this problem of racism. Or here is one way that you can throw you can throw your energy at one problem and solve all these issues of racism. Many of us would say, well, you know what? I would probably just focus on the one thing that will have the greatest effect. Would anybody say like, yeah, me too. I would rather do that. Come on, somebody. Those of you joining us online, maybe you say, hey, maybe, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I relate to that. What if there is a way to deal with all the problems related to race? Let's settle this thought, okay? Racism isn't a skin issue. It's a sin issue, right? All right, so, so I know we're talking about figuring out what the problem really is. Let's settle on that. Racism isn't a skin issue, it's a sin issue. Specifically, racism is the sin of partiality. What does that even mean? And uh, I always like to, uh, there, uh, I'll give you the Greek word, and I know a little Greek, I always like to say, I know a little Greek. His name's Mykonos. He, he has a couple of delis down in Naples. Let me stop. Just making sure y'all paying attention. Those of you joining us online, make sure you're not falling asleep on the couch. Prosopolepsia. 
That's the word in the Greek for partiality. It just means favoritism. Racism, in essence, its very essence, I like to kind of try to boil things down and reduce it down to its barest form. It's the sin of favoritism. And I'm not talking about personal preference. I'm not talking about like, I like Chipotle over most. Come on, somebody. Like, everybody knows Chipotle's better. Come on, everybody knows that. Jesus, let me stop. Peter. Peter is uh, the disciple, one of the disciples that walked so close with Jesus, saw all these miracles. He was one of the three that Jesus brought kind of into his, his inner circle, James and John being the other. And Peter, he receives power uh, through the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in, the, in the early book of Acts. And he, he goes on, and, and Peter's interesting, because if you look at his life up until this point I'm about to tell you about, Peter was racist. <laughs> but it wasn't like black people, white people. Peter was just didn't like Gentiles. He didn't like anybody that wasn't a Jew. So he had this, this issue of, of not accepting people based off of their race, based because they were, they were a Gentile. And God comes in and he visits Peter in, in a dream. He, Peter says, Peter falls into a trance. And God basically tells him, don't call uh, what I've called clean and, and what I've called uncommon. Don't call it clean or common. And, and basically Peter gets to this point and has this revelation before he goes and ministers to this great Gentile, this man named Cornelius, this centurion. So Peter has this moment where God just comes down and he's like, psh, 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 psh. and we look at Acts 10, 34 through 35, New King James Version. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Romans 2, 10 through 11, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Say that with me. For God does not show favoritism. James chapter one, excuse me, chapter two, verse one. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Racism in its essence is an issue of showing people favoritism. If we're to be ambassadors of God, we need to not show favoritism. And again, I'm not talking about personal preference. I'm not talking about, I like hanging out with these people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about treating others as less than yourself. This is the problem. This is part of the problem. This is the issue we see. And what I see is what, what's interesting in this season. Maybe you guys have seen it too. I see people trying to make amends for what's gone on in, over the last 400 years and different things that have gone on in our country. And you have people that are repenting for the sins of other people. And I saw uh, and even heard of an individual, I won't say the name of the, the restaurant chain, but said, I'm going to repent for the sins of other people. And I'm going to get down and I want to shine black people's shoes and that'll help bring healing. And I was just like, um... I don't know if it works like that. Like if, if God on behalf of this nation, we even see it in the Bible that, that people will stand in the gap for their people. And at times it's important for us. And we need to, my Christian brothers and sisters, be in a place of standing in the gap and asking God for forgiveness and repenting. But we can't repent for someone else's sins. If there's anything that you and I should be repenting about, it's showing favoritism in our own life. Come on. Maybe even there's some ideologies that have been handed down to you. Woohoo. That you've held on to. You're like, oh, I'm good with everybody, but I still think this. I still tell these jokes. Woo. 
And there's all these subtle ways that we're help create, we're subtly creating a divide because we're not being true to who God's called us to be by not showing partiality to people. So what is the responsibility of disciples of Jesus uh, in seeing racial reconciliation take place? Y'all want to know what that is? Y'all want to know today? Or I'm going to tell y'all next week. We can't go there yet. Y'all, you're just going to have to wait. We can't just jump to a solution, (laughs) y'all. No, really, though, I'm not going to tell you today. I'm going to tell you next week. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking. <laughs> I want to give you a thought. It's difficult to plow a field with two broken arms. You're like, well, of course. I mean, you, you can probably get it done, but it's going to cause you a lot of pain. It's going to take you a lot longer than if you just, if, you, if, you're, if your arms weren't broken, it's going to take you a lot longer to plow that field It's going to be so much toil, so much labor involved in it if you're trying to plow a field. Or a doctor, if a doctor is trying to, if a doctor is sick and has two broken hands or two broken arms and they're trying to heal you, they will not be able to help you to the best of their ability. Come on. And what I see right now being lived out in our communities, being lived out on TV, people that are jumping in and trying to solve an issue of racial injustice, but they're terribly broken and wounded. So I ask God, I see all that's going on and I'm like, all right, I I get it a little bit, but how far are we gonna get if people that are trying to bring solutions to the issues that plague our communities are terribly broken? How far, how, how will we be able to plow this field? I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine, he had put out an ebook and he, uh, a great, great friend. And, and he said, Hey, I put out this ebook and he started to do it all his own digging and his, his, his research on uh, understanding what, what, it, what systemic racism looks like. And he had all these great statistics and great analysis and historical analysis. And I responded back. I was like, man, that was awesome. That was great. Gave him a couple of thoughts to think about. And I said, Hey, be praying for me a couple of weeks. I'll be speaking on racial reconciliation to be praying for me. He said, yeah, I'll pray for you. One of the things I've learned that one of the things that God is showing me is that before we can get to racial reconciliation, we need to get to justice first. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Amen. And then as that day went on, I'm asking myself, I'm just like, okay. So I shot him back a text and I was like, Hey, what does justice look like? You know, at times I think we say things and we mean well, and we have an idea of what something looks like, but at the end of the day, we we really don't know. Like, what does justice look like? I was like, that's a good question because I, I, I don't know what it looks like. I could tell you different instances of what justice could look like, but with uh, an issue with this many variables, with all of these moving pieces, what does justice look like? And I felt like the Lord gave me a word last week. And I want to give you kind of this, this thought here. Kind of the first point, make sure you write this down. We talk about people needing healing in order to move forward. Lasting healing won't start until I receive, give, and walk in forgiveness. Come on. Man's, mankind's greatest need isn't justice. Mankind's greatest need today is still forgiveness. Even when God wanted to deal with humanity, he sent Jesus into the world. He didn't send Jesus into the world the first time for justice, y'all. He sent it in for forgiveness. He could have sent Jesus in and just say, hey, just take care of the situation. Go ahead and come, you know, go ahead and come and, 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 and justify my glorious standard. But no, 
God sent Jesus first, so for the forgiveness of sins. But you know what? Jesus is coming back for justice. Come on, somebody. He's coming back for justice. So this is the reality that we have to live with, that forgiveness in a lot of ways has to precede justice. Because if it doesn't, it will never feel like justice. Let me follow me for a second. We need justice as a nation, totally. But we need forgiveness more. We need to be healed of the current ailments of, of racial injustice and how they're lived out. We need people, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Indian. I think that covers just about everybody that are sickened by what goes on in our world, we must walk in forgiveness so that we can be healed. Why? Because forgiveness affects the heart. See, I receive forgiveness from God for my soul. I give forgiveness to others for my heart. Come on, you get that? Let's say it again. I receive forgiveness for God from God for my soul. So I know where my place is when this life is over. But I give forgiveness for the benefit of others. Mayo Clinic had an article where they said, letting go of grudges and bitterness can make way for improved health and peace of mind. Forgiveness can lead to healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress, and hostility. Come on, someone shout amen. Lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, a stronger immune system, improved heart health, improved self-esteem. You see, with unforgiveness in our heart, guys, we're killing each other. We're killing ourselves faster. This is the importance of walking in forgiveness. And you may have heard it said like this. Holding unforgiveness in your heart is like you drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Or even my, my father was telling me, I was talking to him a little bit last night, texting. He said that um, holding unforgiveness in your heart is like building a house and putting the thermostat in somebody else's house. Whoo, that's good. Y'all get that on the car ride home. Yeah, people online, I know you, y'all get it. We're, I give forgiveness for the benefit of me. I seek justice for the benefit of others. See, forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. It's letting me off the hook. Whoo! It's not, if I freely, we have to give it. But brother Phil, I'm tired. Haven't you seen all that's gone on in the last 400 years in this nation. I'm tired of seeing what the, what's going on on TV. I'm tired, tired of seeing innocent black men be killed. I'm tired of the lack of inequality. I'm tired of it. And God says, me too. How long, Phil? How many times? How long am I going to have to just keep forgiving people? I'm tired of forgiving people. Brother Peter, again. Matthew 18, 21 through 22, New King James Version. Then Peter came to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? How long shall I see all these injustices? How long should I be called this? How long should I be called that? How long should I be belittled? How long should I feel uh, suppressed and oppressed and forgive people? Seven times maybe? Seven's a lot. If I forgive you seven times, then like, ooh, I... I've forgiven you a lot. You've done a lot, of, a lot of things to me. 
Jesus said, no, brother. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Constant forgiveness. See, without forgiveness, I'm trying to plow the field of racial injustice with two broken arms. And we're not going to get very far. The world is screaming, justice, justice. And as the church, we need to be spring, sing, uh, screaming, forgiveness, forgiveness. Jesus was there on the cross dying and they were saying, crucify him. The world was screaming, justice for this man. And Jesus was looking at him and he was saying, Lord. Jesus was saying, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And I can tell you, feeling the sting of racial injustice and the sting of racism personally, it's not easy to just say, forgive them. But I am a citizen of heaven first. I'm an ambassador of Jesus first. So what right do I have to walk in unforgiveness? Y'all with me? Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Our Father, let's say this together. Hallowed be your name. Come on. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now that I'm healed, I can have the strength and power of the Holy Spirit to speak to and take action against the ills of society as an ambassador of heaven and as an ambassador of God. So for the follower of Jesus, again, maybe just one step. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about, about this, but the first step for the follower of Jesus in addressing Racism and dealing with racial reconciliation has to be going to God first. This is why Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, as we read at the top of this, says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, be reconciled to God. If we can't be reconciled to God, we will be terribly limited in making any attempt to reconcile with other people. So this is the step for us, but... But we can't stop there. We can't just say, all right, I'm reconciled with God. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm saved from hell. Yeah, all those people are crazy over there. That's not my problem. I didn't start that. And let me just go ahead and write, write real, real quick on that. So, so much of people I talk to, they're, they're saying uh, that, uh, you know, that happened, these things happened over 400 years ago. This is, this is not my problem, I'm not racist, but just because you're not a part of the problem doesn't mean you can't be a part of the solution. Come on, somebody. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Next week we'll talk, like I said, more about racial reconciliation. You go back to one of the philisms I started with. <clears throat> a kingdom is only as strong as its weakest subjects. 
we have a responsibility to help strengthen the body of Christ and those within God's kingdom who feel weak. Amen. We have a responsibility. And here's what I know. That God, uh, Jesus said that the, the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter would guide us in all truth. So I know for you, your part to play, David and Phyllis, your part to play in it may look different than mine, but we all have a part to play in it. We all have a responsibility. <clears throat> and I can tell you that there are a lot of our black brothers and sisters that have been bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus who feel weak and inferior because of the effects of racism in this nation. But we're gonna to get to the root issue. This is our responsibility. Would you stand? Let me just say, I am grateful for America. I love this nation. And for many people, maybe you're joining us online and, and uh, yeah, uh, you can go to pretty much any nation in the world and there's, there's ugliness because sin is all over the world and, and you're going to find ugly things wherever there's sin. So, you know, I would encourage you just go to about 98% of the countries around the world and you will come back and say, whoo, thank God I am back on American soil, a place where I can worship my God freely. People are being persecuted for their faith. People are being killed for their faith in different countries right now. And we see some of the things that are going on in the world right now in America, and we don't like it. And we see some liberties that I mean, people are trying to capture our liberties and do these different things. But let's thank God for what we do have. Amen. And I'm grateful for even the sacrifice in the video we watched earlier where the, the woman laid down her battle dress uniform where she laid down her uniform there on the bed. People that sacrifice. This weekend, as we're celebrating Independence Day, I, I want you to remember Many of the issues that we face are because we're trying to do it independent of God, independent of Jesus. And I get it. Like we're, we're, we, we live in a culture that celebrates the story of people doing it their own way. Come on, the Frank Sinatra mantra. Come on, I did it my way. And we're like, hallelujah. We all worship the Frank Sinatra song. No, we don't. As the years go by, let's be grateful for the, let's, let's be grateful for our nation. But let's remember this. Everybody with me? When, it, when 4th of July comes around, I want you to have this thought that we have to live independence of God. See what I did there? Independence. Independence Day. In order to be an answer to the solution, we have to live in dependence of God. We, we can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it with our own understanding. We can't, we can't solve the ills of society with our own strength and our own abilities. We have to have God. Go ahead and bow your head. Lord, I thank you for your goodness, your kindness. Lord, your forgiveness. Lord, I'm thankful that there's nothing that separates us from your love. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, even those that are joining us online. Lord, you're stirring them up. Lord, I pray in these next couple weeks, even today, we would go home, Lord, we'd look ourselves in the mirror and we would say, Lord, 
Lord, forgive me for any part that I've played in, in these issues that are lived out in society, whether it be directly or indirectly. And God, as we receive your forgiveness, God, that we would be set on a path to be salt and light and bring healing to a nation that so desperately needs us. God, you're looking to us. God, you're looking to those that have been bought by the blood of Jesus to provide the answers to the ills of our community. So God, I pray for boldness and courage from our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by the message today. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can like, subscribe, or share it with someone. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.